This is Andy Towers. You listen to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Kylie Omiller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer fires to score. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. Gets topside wrap. Oh, scores! Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Adam Moore and Hutton Jackson. What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson, here with my co-host, Adam Moore. We are recapping the PLL Championship we are recapping the 2021 PLL season. This will be our final episode of the 2021 PLL season. And then we'll go into the offseason. We have some offseason questions. You know, we kind of want to discuss storylines heading into the offseason. But first, you know, obviously we are going to talk about this championship game. Me and you were both in D.C., Adam, which was a great environment. Talk about just, you know, being in D.C. at Aldi Field for this uh, championship. Yeah, it was a blast. Not only was the game fantastic, the atmosphere in D.C. Uh, was phenomenal. You know, we had a pretty packed crowd. Uh, didn't get the official numbers from the PLL yet in terms of, uh, you know, tickets sold, all that, but it was probably around three fourths full. It was a fantastic showing. Paul Rabel did say it was the most attended uh, game in PLL history, which is awesome news. So uh, between uh, the Sixes tournament that you played in Hutton, the game day crowd and the game itself, it was an awesome way uh, to wrap up this 2021 season. Yeah, no, I think it was uh, probably approximately around 15,000 is the unofficial number. Um, you know, they had around thir- a little under 13,000, I believe, in the championship in Philly. So um, an Audi field can fit around 20,000. So, yeah, it was about, like you said, three quarters of the, the way full. Um, the Sixes tournament was great. A lot of great turnout out there. Um, we ended up, my team ended up getting second in the Masters division. Um, I was dead by the end of it. I mm-hmm. was exhausted. It was a great time, though. I appreciate all the people that, um, played. I played with some of my friends. I played with some people I didn't know and had never played with before. Um, and our team put on a little bit of a run. We ended up losing to the Swamp Monster. So uh, credit where credit is due, but I had a great time. Um, congrats uh, to the PLL team for putting that together. Andrew Manning did a, a phenomenal job. He was one of the, the guys heading that. And um, there's a bunch of other people behind the scenes. Uh, Paul Rabel's dad was even working the event at the Sixes. So, <laughs> you know, it was a team effort and I thought they did a phenomenal job. I hope they do it again. Um, obviously they, the championship might not necessarily be in DC next year. Hopefully it is close enough for me to attend because, uh, me and my team need to get back and we need to win the championship next time, but, and you need to play with us as well, Adam. Yeah, I definitely hope I'll be able to hop in cage with you guys next year. And, you know, just like this chaos squad lost in the championship, uh, previous year, next year's next year's our year to win, go, come back a couple changes to tweaks to the roster, uh, me being one of them. And we could pull this one out. Yeah, and I don't know if this trend applies to, you know, Sixes tournaments, but <laughs> the re- in the rematch, the team that lost the first matchup is now 4-0. So, you know, there's definitely uh, some credence there. there. <laughs> um, but we will get into this championship game in a little bit. Let's run down some news and notes, though, particularly from the NLL. Um, Firewolves unveiled some new uniforms. Um, I thought they were pretty sweet. Adam, yep. any thoughts on these uniforms? Yeah, no, they, they looked good. I'm excited to see them finally hit the floor. I mean, I'm excited to see literally any NLL team at this point hit the floor. Really looking forward to this season. But yeah, Oliver Marty did a great job and his crew did an awesome job uh, with those new unis. I, I like the color scheme. So uh, looking forward to see them uh, in action come December. 
Yeah, the maroon and gold is, is a nice look. It's not used by many teams either, you know, not just the NLL, but kind of in pro sports. I thought the they have this cool uh, alternate logo too, which is like a wolf paw on yeah. fire. I, I thought they should probably incorporate that even more. I, that was the first time I saw it on the uniform. Um, yeah. so I'm sure they are planning on, you know, make a good hat logo, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, I thought the uniforms looked good. I like that they didn't just, you know, alternate between white and red, uh, you know, in terms of same uniform, just different colors. They actually mixed it up a little bit. It was a little bit different look uniforms for both. Um, so yeah, I, I thought they, they looked good. You know, Panther city was another team that unveiled new uniforms earlier this season. Both of those, I think looked uh, good. They, they knocked them out of the park. So um, kudos to the firewolves team. Um, the NLL also added two seasons of full games on YouTube. So the past two seasons are now on YouTube. You can watch any of those games. I know me and you are going to be, you know, in our downtime, watching some of those old games. It's funny, yep. you know, these teams have changed so much. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit too, but these teams have changed so much that, um, you know, I don't know if what we can watch these past two seasons, we can really take into account heading into this season. Definitely. These teams are going to be very, very different and play differently, but uh, definitely, you know, n- nice to get our lacrosse fix uh, these next three months while we wait yep. for the NLL to start. Um, and then some signings, we had Chris Cloutier signed a three-year deal. So he was the last of the bandits roommates to sign a deal with the bandits. So he signs a long-term deal. Uh, Craig Wendy was traded to the swarm. So obviously when they acquired Eric Kirk uh, to compete with Hartley, um, they decided to move Wendy. And so Wendy is now going to the swarm to back up Poulin. Uh, it sounds like, you know, Lane Hershka will have to wait a little bit longer, probably for him. Um, makes sense. You know, you want a, another veteran backing up um, Poulin. So um, we'll wait a little bit longer for Hershka, but, uh, you know, I think that was a good move by, by the Swarm. And that wasn't the Swarm's only trade. They also traded away Randy Stotts for next year's first round pick, a future second round pick, and a conditional third rounder. So, Adam, we're both big fans of Randy Stotts. What about this trade? Randy Stotts is going to Panther City. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I was really excited to to see this trade go down. You know, Bob Hanley able to pull this one off just for draft picks. Um, you know, expansion squads are in an interesting position. Do you, are are they? Are you trying to win now? Are you trying to build for the future? And uh, clearly, Bob Hamley and Coach Koleski are are in win now mode. They not only traded these picks for Randy, they made a few other deals, uh, getting rid of, of some of their future picks as well. So uh, they're looking to build uh, a really competitive uh, squad come come season one, hopefully uh, for that uh, Fort Worth fan base. So it'll be interesting to see if any other moves uh, come down the pipeline before uh, we get to the season. Um, but excited to see Randy back on the floor. Obviously, he'll be coming off that injury he sustained during PLL training camp. Hopefully, he'll be able to get back out there this year. Um, and from the Swarm perspective, you know, if he, they weren't going to be able to re-sign uh, Randy after this season, uh, gaining some, some draft picks um, makes sense, I guess. You know, that they're not uh, – the Swarm front office is not – uh, scared or, or doesn't shy away uh, from trading uh, current uh, successful players for, for future picks. And obviously that's paid off for, for them in the past um, with how successful they've been. So we'll see. Uh, I think it's too early to tell who's won this trade, but obviously if I'm a Fort Worth fan, I'm ecstatic to have one of the best players uh, in the world on my team going into this season. Yeah, no. And I think it, you, you, it's a sign of the swarm, maybe looking towards the future a little bit. I don't think they're necessarily like punting on this season. Um, you know, in, you know, when you have the Thompson brothers, you're always going to be competitive, but you know, we can assume Joel white has retired because uh, he retired from the PLL. Um, now they trade away Randy Stotts. They weren't able to sign Dan Coates after trading away Zed Williams. 
So, you know, this team's going to look a little bit different um, going into next season. Uh, you know, obviously I still think they're going to be very competitive, but it is interesting. The moves they're making, um, you know, tend to tend to show the direction that they're going. You know, I think they're they're They want to be competitive this season as still, but you know, they, they know that Randy Stotts is on the final year of his deal. I'm also coming off a major injury. So they decided to, uh, you know, move him at this point. And, um, you know, I think for Panther city, I, I think if Randy's able to play, even if it's just, you know, half of the season, um, I think it's definitely worth the move. Hopefully they're able to resign him too. I think that's probably where the conditional pick comes in as well. But, um, you know, a player of Randy's caliber, I, I think that that trade was definitely fair. I can see why the swarm would want to do it, getting that draft capital for a player that's on the final year's contract. But I'm Panther city. I'm pr- feeling pretty good about that deal given what they gave up. But those are like kind of some of the NLL news and notes. We're going to be in full blown NLL mode comes uh, you know december and it, it's getting very very close now nope. but one final thing in our news and notes and that is the retirement of paul rabel he retired shortly after we had our last episode um did it very quietly uh had a, a press conference with around 50 people is what i'm hearing i'm at aldi field um so and it, it was announced right at the end of the season so i actually talked to him a little bit on um you know why he chose towards the end of the season and a lot of it had to do with he was actually planning on probably announcing his retirement beginning of the season, but when he was traded to the Cannons, he felt like I'm going to a new locker room with new teammates. I don't want to make this about me every weekend. I want this to, you know, kind of be about the team. And I commend him for that. Um, You know, obviously the Paul Rabel we know and love has really built his brand on media behind the scenes, you know, on YouTube, all that stuff. And so it was kind of surprising to me that he would wait till the end of the season to announce that he wasn't coming back. Um, but that was, that was his reasoning. I have a little bit more in an article I wrote for Washington city paper. That's uh, coming out very shortly, but um, I appreciate his time and we'll get to him and the rest of the retirees a little bit later at the end of this episode. But now that we've uh, got the news and notes out of the way, Adam, let's talk about this championship game. I, I think we both felt like, you know, the chaos could pull this out going into it. I personally, if I had to pick, I was going to choose the chaos. It was not something that I wanted to do because uh this, this game I knew was going to be super close um, and it ended up being pretty close till the end uh, when the chaos pulled away, but the chaos are your 2021 champions. They do throw in the whip snakes who are attempting to go for the three Pete. How did they do it? And what did you see from this chaos team that uh, maybe surprised you or you felt like, you know, didn't surprise you too much? Yeah. One thing that didn't surprise me was blazing cage, right? Mm-hmm. Made 15 saves on the day, 63% save percentage. Um, played phenomenal one game MVP. So he's the first goalie in the history of pro outdoor lacrosse to win uh, league MVP and championship MVP. The great Greg Catrano had won both in his career, but not during that same season. So uh, blaze played phenomenal and for a chaos squad to win, he needed to, um, but that defense in front of him really, really played well. Jack Rowlett uh, had a phenomenal uh, day as well as Jared Newman. So, uh, they really were playing with a chip on their shoulder, you know, coming into this game. I still think a lot of people were, were siding with the whips just because you, you don't pick against uh, the two-time reigning champ, but that defense played phenomenal um, in front of and was able to neutralize uh, Rambo and Zed Williams um, really, really well. Yeah, and I think, you know, going into the season and even up until the playoffs, you know, a lot of people believe that it was their Achilles heel. And I, you know, I, I thought that myself and, uh, you know, coach Ryan Curtis did a great job of getting them prepared. Um, I thought their short stick defensive middies played really, really well too. obviously give a ton of credit to Rowlett and Newman for neutralizing Zed and Rambo. Um, but I thought their short sticks, you know, Mark Lassini, Pat Resch, 
um, and Ian McKay also did really, really well, where that was also a point of struggle, I think, throughout the season. Um, and, you know, that's something that the Whips were able to effectively neutralize in their game against the Water Dogs. They really attacked their shorties. They beat their one-on-one matchups. Um, and I think they tried to do the same thing against the Chaos, and the Chaos, you know, stood tall. And that was something that the Chaos did really, really well in the game prior, you know, because they yes. short-sticked Eric Law, they short-sticked Jake Carraway, and they were able to, to – to, pull it out but i think this is an interesting stat from this defense and how well not only they played down the stretch but also how they were able to close out games so in their three postseason matchups the archers scored their final goal with 843 left in the fourth so they didn't give up a goal in the final nearly nine minutes of that game in the atlas game they gave up their final goal with five minutes left so still like holding down the fort for five yeah. minutes, but that was also the Atlas's first goal in nearly 21 minutes. Yeah. So they went in almost an entire half of the game, only giving up one goal against this high powered Atlas offense, be it. And then finally the whips game again, eight twenty two left in the fourth. You know, you saw yeah. when Carlson scored that goal, you're like, all right, now's the time, you know, the whips are going to put on a run. They never did. They no. never did. The, the, the defense played phenomenal and they, they locked it down. And again, like that large part is in due to blazes play. Um, but you know, you got to give credit to this defense. Um, Zed was held to just two points. Rambo only had one assist in this entire game. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, the whip snakes are 10 and one when Zed scores at least three points. And then they are two and three when Zed scores less than three points. So going by the numbers, you know, that's the way to kind of stop the, the whip snakes. Um, and in both of those wins, you know, that he had less than three points, uh, those were one goal games. So, Again, I think give credit to the chaos for executing their game plan against these two. Um, they really took these two top players, the former MVPs, out of the game, and uh, that's kind of what led to a lot of their success on defense. Well, yeah, and and also I think they were making, and it it a lot of it had probably had to do with the defense, but I think that whips offense we were making some uncharacteristic mistakes, you know, throwing balls away and, and things like that. So um, they didn't look like. Uh, the whip squad we had seen at points this season um, in terms of just their ability to, to move the ball. So it was uh, interesting to watch it. Like, like you said, everyone was waiting for that shoe to drop and it just never did for, for the whip. So uh, kudos to that chaos defense, kudos to blaze. Um, I, as coach tower said afterwards, he thinks blaze uh, is the best player in the world right now. So, um, and it'd be, hard pressed you'd be hard pressed to to say otherwise after uh the accolades he's received after the season he's had no absolutely and let's hear from uh blaze and co um at the podium after the game we have ian mckay josh Byrne, blaze reardon and mark lasini all the at the podium right now aka champs <laughs> uh first question for blaze blaze you've won a few trophies this weekend why is this one the sweetest I only won one trophy. It's a championship trophy. That's all I cared about. Uh, all these guys here, you know, I, I said I'm sick of seeing myself on social media, but I'm not going to be sick of myself holding up that trophy. I'll tell you that. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> this has always been a team game. Um, at the end of the day, it was about finding what the right combination was going to be. And um, from, from, from the minute that we put this group together, the boys have just been balling out. It's, it's as simple as that. We believe in each other, and that's it. You got to give credit to the offense too, because in every one of these playoff matchups with the chaos, it always felt like, all right, when's this team going to make the run? You know, when are high powered archers going to make a run? When are the high powered Atlas going to make a run? When are the high powered whipsnakes going to make a run? Yep. And the reason they weren't was not only the defense, 
but also this offense was able to put up points and Max Aller was able to win them possessions too. And that's, I think what really demoralized a lot of these teams is you'd get a good possession against the chaos. They'd get a stop and then go down the field and either on transition or settled six on six, the chaos would get a goal. And a lot of these goals weren't, you know, they didn't, they worked for them, but it was also like, you know, Josh Byrne dodging and finding some man on the crease. And those were demoralizing. You know, that's, that's the thing is the chaos. They would score goals that they were simple on the doorstep goals that really just kind of killed the opposing defense's confidence, I believe. Yeah. And so I think that's also what you got to give credit also to the offense that, you know, the, the saying is the best defense is a great offense. And that's kind of, you know, part of this too, is that the chaos were able to, to go on these, runs themselves and eliminate teams from scoring runs. I, I'd have to look at the numbers, but I'd be shocked if any team in this postseason, you know, put up more than three or four goals in a row against them. I think it may be the Atlas might have in that first half. Um, and then we obviously saw what happened in the second half. So um, again, credit to the team as a whole for kind of putting this all together. They, they knew their style that they wanted to play um, and they proved that they are the best team after this, these three, three games, because they were able to beat, some of the best, you know, you can say what you will about them, you know, sneaking in the playoffs as a six seed, whatever. Um, they beat the archers, the Atlas and the whip snakes, who I think were probably maybe, you know, up there with the, the water dogs as the top teams that people thought would win a championship. And um, here they are They're They hosted the trophy and, and the trophy is uh, apparently, you know, in, in a bunch of pieces now, which, you know, they had some fun, I think after this game um, I was, you know, they're actually on site. We both were, but, I was able to go to the after party a little bit um, and blaze ended up showing up. It happened to be a bills mafia event, which mm -hmm. I think was so apropos, like so fitting. Um, he got some shout outs from all the bills fans and stuff. Uh, I looked over and my sister actually got a picture with him as well. And so she got the exclusive interview you could say, but um, I talked to him a little bit after and uh, you know, very briefly, and we're going to try to get him on the podcast. He, he said, you know, give him some time. He said till at least Wednesday was when he was going to need. And the way it looked like they were parting, I think, uh, I think that was probably a smart move, but uh, I saw like Dane and, and Westberg, you know, on scooters riding around DC. Um, so I, I think, I think the post game went pretty well for the, for the cast. It sounds like. Yeah. They were living their best lives. And, you know, I, I know you said you don't think they're, they're still the, the, the best team in the league, but man, the cheese stands alone when it came down to it, they made it happen. So um, I'm pushing back on that right now. They are the best because until next season championship, uh, if there's a trophy around or not, they're uh, they're, they're the champs going into next season. Yeah, I'll, I'll caveat that too. I think maybe not the most talented, but in terms of best team, yeah, they they, they are. They earn that right. When you win a championship, you earn that right. And it's a team sport, you know. So they show that they were able to put it the best team out there um, and execute their scheme. So, you know, I guess what I should have prefaced is I don't think maybe they're necessarily the most talented, but it doesn't matter when you're able to play like a team. Um, and when you got Coach Towers, you know, executing his game plan and, you know, give him a lot of credit. He It was no not easy with, the roster turnover that he had to deal with, uh, you know, Curse Dixon wasn't even able to play Challen Rogers. Like those were two guys. Curse Dixon meant a lot to this team last season. And Challen Rogers was probably one of our unsung heroes that we thought was going to, you know, have a great year. And yeah. they both weren't able to play due to the border restrictions. And, um, you know, he took that in stride. Chase Frazier had four goals in this game, you know, D3 product that, um, he, you know, had really never played pro field lacrosse before. Dane Smith's another guy that, you know, was an NLL first guy. Um, obviously has had an MVP seasons in the NLL before, so he's no slouch, but 
Um, you know, he, he's never, he didn't play field lacrosse in college. And so a lot of credit to them. Um, you're rolling out pretty much a box style offense. And, um, you know, I, I got to give credit to coach towers and his coaching staff for what they did. Um, yeah, like you said, they are the best team. They earned that right. They're the defending champs now. Um, and they have, you know, a long time now, you know, over nine months to, to kind of, uh, sit back and, um, you know, enjoy that. I know they're going to be preparing, you know, for the next season as well, but, uh, you know, when they take the, the field next year, um, they're gonna be the team to beat now. And, uh, you know, I think they deserve it. And, um, you know, I just, you know, give them a lot of credit for what they were able to accomplish. And, um, I don't think a team, you know, just to, to go off of two being the best, I don't think a team executed their game plan better than the chaos yep. did this postseason. And I, I, you could argue, I don't think a team has executed this game plan to the best in the past three years of the PLL. You know, I think the whip snakes obviously know what they are and they were able to do that the past two seasons, but, um, for what the chaos were able to do, you know, they, they beat some really solid teams. So I, I give them a lot of credit, but let's also hear from the losing side. Jim Stagnita spoke about the game after the game. So let's hear from him. You know, they played well, the, the chaos, they give them a lot of credit. Um, they, uh, they were able to, uh, to dictate and, and take some pieces away from us uh, offensively. And uh, not that we hadn't talked about and prepared for it, but we didn't execute it consistently. Uh, and, you know, they made plays. I mean, we were able to, uh, I thought we were able to put the ball on the ground and do some things. And uh, the ball kind of bounced their way a couple times. And I thought that down the stretch, you know, certainly at times we never really settled back in um, in that in that second half of the third quarter and fourth quarter, I thought we took some really quick shots and really never gave ourselves, you know, the opportunity to uh, to kind of cycle and run through our offense. But, you know, again, a lot of that has to do with uh, with the chaos and the way they played today. They, they certainly um, were the better team. Uh, we need to be a little bit more disciplined, a little more patient in it, and certainly Blaze made some saves, um, which, you know, he always does. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, you know, and again, I, they did a, did a nice job covering Zed um, and, again, forced us into, you know, um, some uncharacteristic shots and, uh, you know, created some opportunities for them back on the other end. Honestly, you know, you we've been fortunate. We've, we've had a, you know, the kind of foundation of this team has, has been together um, for three years. And, um, you know, we have uh, – there's there's the uh, there's the downside of, of winning you know winning championships is that your draft position is uh, is is you know it is not uh, is not ultimately um, the best year in and year out and we had some guys that come in and, and made a, a contribution this year but you know we we do it every year and we're gonna we're gonna have to make a you know we'll, we'll look closely at at the season and we'll look to see where each of our guys are and and um, at, at this point in their career and. Yeah, I, I believe that we will have some decisions to make, as does everybody else in the league. So you heard Coach Jim Stagnita, uh, one of the coaches on the sidelines in that championship game. We were happy to be able to talk to the other opposing coach, Andy Towers. We were fortunate enough to be joined by him. So we're going to hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll talk to Andy Towers about this championship. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Today on Pro Lacrosse Talk, we're lucky to have Andy Towers join the show. AT was a three-time All-American midfielder at Brown University, former pro with stints in the Major Indoor Lacrosse League and Major League Lacrosse, head coach with Dartmouth, and most recently PLL champion winning coach of Chaos Lacrosse Club. Coach Towers, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm above average. Appreciate you uh, having me on and appreciate that intro. Absolutely. I had a feeling you'd be doing above average. I feel like you're probably a, a little bit more than above average uh, after this championship win, but let's talk a little bit about that. How does it feel okay. to be a championship winning coach? Uh, it feels great. You know, it's, it's, it's really satisfying. I got to say that, um, you know, obviously it's what we were working towards, but, but the greatest satisfaction is just seeing uh, all of the sacrifices of the coaches in Matt Panetta, Ryan Curtis, and most importantly, the players having all their sacrifices, time, energy um, validated with the championship. Uh, you know, we said at training camp, everybody was going to have to give up something of themselves in order for us to have a chance to get the desired outcome, which was to accomplish our only locker room goal. And that was to win the PLL championship. And they did it. Uh, and, and to see it validated in the end was immensely satisfying. No, that's awesome. And, you know, certainly a great weekend in D.C. Obviously, you had the 3.2% of people that thought you would win it all. You know, you guys were underdogs going into this, but you did a really good job of executing executing your schemes, making playoff adjustments. Um, I know on Media Day, you highlighted all the moves you made during the offseason and midseason, but talk a little bit about just bringing in the right personnel for this championship run, as well as what you and the coaching staff did to uh, make adjustments when facing your opponents. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say we were underdogs. I mean, I, I think the, obviously the, the world thinks we were underdogs. I don't think our locker room felt like we were underdogs at any point, uh, you know, particularly in the last half of the season when we had most of our personnel available, you know, mm-hmm. through the beginning of the season, we lost the first three games, you know, and training camp was tough for us due to, uh, you know, the amount of Canadian players that we have on our team the struggle that they had in getting their visas approved along with, you know, three injuries to right-handed offensive players, mm-hmm. you know, we went through training camp instead of bringing 30 in and cutting it down to 25, we had 24 and it was 24. And with that said, out of 24, only 21 actually ended up playing in training camp because of the injuries. And so, you know, we didn't even have, the ability to field and healthy eight offensive players until the Redwoods game, which was game four for us. Mm-hmm. And so we knew that time was on our side as the season progressed in that we would be getting visas approved guys that were hurt in training camp. And at the start of the season would eventually get healthy and be back. And going into the Colorado game, we felt that, We knew exactly who we were on the defensive end of the field. We felt like we had it down to 10 players on the offensive end of the field and needed to decide on our final two right-handed offensive players. And it came down to four players. And after the Archers game in in game eight, we knew we had our roster. And, uh, you know, once we were able to secure our roster, we really felt like 
the momentum just continued to increase. And we played progressively better from that Friday night win against the Archers to even the Redwoods game that we lost. We felt like we played real well. We just didn't mm-hmm. shoot real well. And, and a lot of that credit goes to Timmy Troutler, who played a great game. And, uh, you know, but we felt that we played progressively better with each game in the playoffs and played our most complete game in the final on Sunday. And so, you know, the primary adjustments for us was managing what we were going to do schematically on the offensive end, because that's where our personnel was the most inconsistent. Um, you know, it was, it was managing what schemes would work in the short term until we felt like we had uh, all of our options available on the offensive end. And once those became available, then we settled into what we felt was going to be our best scheme and, uh, you know, and play the appropriate personnel. You know, and you mentioned, you know, finding the right spot, you know, right people on that righty side. Um, one of those Chase Frazier, who, you know, D3 product. I don't think he ever played professional field lacrosse. Obviously, you know, killing it in the box game with the Buffalo Bandits and had a lot of relationships with um, a lot of your current players. But talk about bringing him in um, and his impact. You know, he had four goals in this championship game alone. Talk just about his impact and um, how he really came into his own during the season. Yeah, I mean, you could look at the season and, and you know, he- we were supposed to have him at training camp and, and he had a difficult process as it relates to getting his visa approved. We, we, we brought him in, you know, to compete with essentially Curtis Dixon for that right-handed attack spot. And, and Curtis had, uh, you know, difficulties as well with his ability to go uh, from Canada and the United States and back. And it was a little bit different than a visa issue it was more of the regulations with Canada for Canadian citizens going back up into Canada after they came into the country. And so his was a little bit more of a long-term struggle. We didn't think that he would, you know, ultimately be cleared. And so we brought in Chase Frazier on the recommendation from Josh Byrne, who played with him in Buffalo to play attack. And, uh, you know, you, you look at how productive he was, it was unbelievable. I mean, he was three, four, five goals in various games down the last half of the season when we finally put him in as a starting attackman. He played two games as a midfielder for us and scored in both games. And, and you could see how athletic he was, you know, but we didn't actually play him as an attackman, which is where we picked him up to play until Colorado. And he had two goals, probably could have had four or five goals. I'm sure he would tell you the same thing. And that's when we knew that, you know, him and Josh and Klutz were going to be, you know, the starting attack group for us. And we had found that piece. And then, you know, it was the last two spots between E. Scott and Jake Fricaro and, you know, Ryan Smith and, and Berge. And, you know, all are great players. But the way that the ball moved when we had Ryan Smith and, and Wes Bergen there, in games eight and and nine, but particularly game eight, because that was when the decision was finalized. You know, it was just clear to see that the ball moved really, really well with those eight players. And so that made it easy for us to make that decision. And it's not a, you know, an indictment on anybody's inability to, to, to play at the highest level. You know, all those guys are, are, are unbelievable players in their own right. 
But our challenge as coaches was to find the group where the ball moved the best within the particular schemes that we felt were the best for the personnel that we had access to. And, mm-hmm. you know, Chase was a, uh, a cornerstone of that as an attackman because he was on the field in, in every shift. And, 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 you know, the credit really goes to, to Josh Byrne. He's the one that tipped us off, you know, before the season even started. And we got really, really smart men and phenomenal lacrosse players on our team. And we would be foolish as coaches to not get their insight with every personnel decision that we make. And I do that, you know, whether I'm calling every guy, I'm usually not doing that, but there are key guys that I speak to about decisions that we're thinking about making. And on the offensive end, certainly those two guys are Dane and Josh, you know, those are the two cornerstones of our offense and two of the best players in the world and arguably the two best at each of their respective positions in the world. And, you know, that's, those are the guys that we decided to build our offense around and to be able to get their input was critical to being able to secure what we thought were the best eight offensive players that made us the most dangerous on game day. Absolutely. And I know we're talking a lot of the offense, but I want to give some credit to the defense too. Um, Talk a little bit about, you know, the scheme that you guys rolled out. You were able to hold the archers to 10 goals and then the Atlas and the whip snakes to nine during this playoff run. Um, What did you see from, obviously we'll get into blaze, you know, plenty, but what did you see from this, uh, these polls that, you know, really was special come playoff time? Well, we've got the best defensive coordinator in the sport, um, you know, in Ryan Curtis. And, and, and we all completely defer to his assessment on what we should do. And we would be foolish not to. You know, you're looking at Ryan Curtis's resume. He has got an absolute U.S. Lacrosse National Hall of Fame resume. And I hope that the committee sees that and ultimately puts him in as a truly great player. Um, and beyond that, he's a truly great coach as well. You know, as a player, he won defenseman of the year when he was at Virginia. He won the MLL defensive player of the year um, as a professional player. He played on the U.S. world team and, you know, his resume stands alone as a Hall of Fame resume. Uh, and, and he's the mastermind behind what we did on the defensive end throughout the season. Uh, you know, with that said, everything's a relationship. And so the relationship that Ryan has with our three starting close defensemen and Johnny Serdic, Jack Rowlett, Jared Newman, our two poles and Troy Ray and CJ Costabile, our three short sticks and Ian McKay, Mark Lucini and Pat Resch, and then certainly Blaze Reardon and the goal and Max Adler at the X. You know, that's what we consider our defensive personnel. And everybody was a, uh, a soldier to what our respective game plans were. And they varied from game to game as you could see the way that we played, where we short-sticked Willie Manny in the first game and bumped up two poles. You know, in the second game against the Atlas in the semis, we played three poles and put a short stick on Eric Law and, 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 and Caraway. You know, uh, this weekend, we made it hard for Matt Rambo to get the ball and put Jared Newman on him and, and put Jack Rowlett on Zed. Um, and we're able to bump up Johnny Serdic and, and take advantage of 
how great of an off-ball short stick defender Ian McKay is. I think, frankly, the best on the planet. And that left Click and Resch and Troy and CJ to match up with the other super talented midfielders that the Whip Snakes were rolling out there. And sure enough, you know, that game plan worked great. You know, you're, you're not going to find two more established goal scorers or players than Zed and Matt. And, 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 and Carlson's, you know, unbelievable. You know, I think he's frankly probably the best inside guy in the sport. And so we knew we had our hands full with those guys. And they're the two-time defending champions for a reason. You know, nobody's more, been more successful coaching in this league than Staggs and Murph and BG and, and, and their players. There's a reason why they've won two straight PLL championships. And so we knew we had our hands full, but we also felt that the pressure was on them. Uh, you know, we weren't expected by anyone except our locker room to make it to the final game, uh, you know, and, and, and be able to win it. And we didn't have any self-doubt. You know, we did not. But our defensive game plan, the credit goes to Ryan Curtis and the credit goes to the players that executed his plan um, very, very cleanly. And ultimately, we were able to ride, as we were all season, the play of the best player in the world in Blaze Reardon. And I think the most improved player over the course of this summer in Max Adler, who at the end of the year, nobody was better than him at what he did at his position. And, uh, you know, it was just great to see both ends of the field and come together and, and for us to play again, a, a really clean and complete game against the two-time world champions in the Whips Knicks. No, absolutely. And you mentioned Blaze Reardon, how you think he's the best player in the world. And obviously he's shown that one MVP this year, both the championship MVP and the league MVP. Um, many forget that before the PLL though, he wasn't even really a starter in the pros. Um, talk about just his journey as a pro in the PLO over these three years and how he continues to improve his game. I mean, he's been as good as anybody since starting in the PLO, but um, just talk about how he's continued to take it to another level. Yeah. You know, when we went to training camp that first year down at IMG, we had two great goalies on the roster and, and Blaze and Charlie Cipriano. And I called each of the guys before training camp. I called everybody on our team before training camp to speak with them and, you know, just said that it was a wide open competition and Blaze said, uh, you know, I am all for, you know, having to go out and earn my position. I got no problem doing that. And, and Sip said the same thing. And, and they both played unbelievably well at that first training camp. And, and we, you know, really were like, wow, okay. You know, these guys have played so well. With that said, we felt like Blaze was a sliver ahead of Sip. And so we gave him the starting nod. And, you know, he abruptly went out and, and, and validated that decision and, and earned goalie of the year in that first year. He was just incredible and led us to the best regular season record that summer, you know, but unfortunately that team peaked early and we got knocked out in the semifinals and we go out to the bubble last summer and Blaze has obviously cemented himself as the starter for our team. And, you know, we lost sick in the expansion draft when Cope picked him up for the water dogs and, we were able to pick up Dylan Ward, who, <laughs> you know, is, is right there in, in a conversation of the very best goalies in the world. And you know, many would consider Blaze the best and Wardo, you know, 1A, so to speak. Uh, you know, but, but all Blaze did was further cement himself as 
what we thought was the best player in the world, arguably last summer, but certainly the best goalie in the world again in the bubble. And he went out and earned that award for the second straight year in a row. And we almost won the championship last year. You know, we were up six, two, six, three, and you know, credit the whip sticks. They, they, they went on their run down the stretch and, and scored a bunch of goals in, the, in a row and, and, you know, pulled it out in the fourth quarter. It's a fourth quarter game or four quarter game and, and they deserved it, you know, but we went into the off season thinking, you know, we've got to be 10 minutes better. And, and, and that was the focus on, on what we tried to do. And we felt great about who we were on the defensive end of the field. We knew we'd be getting Johnny Serdic back, who was the national defenseman of the year at Army and, and, and didn't get the amount of reps that we wanted to get him in the first summer because Brody Merrill was still on our team. And he wasn't able to go to the bubble due to a last-minute decision by a general in the Army. And, and so he didn't play with us in the bubble last summer. But we knew we were getting him back. And we knew that Blaze gave us the most consistent player on the field at the most important position. And all he did was go out and play that way every single game this summer. And what I found most admirable, not surprising, but admirable is that his narrative never changed from when we were 0-1, 0-2, 0-3 to start the season to when we were 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 in the playoffs and winning the championship. You know, he's been nothing but uh, team first and team focused and supportive of his teammates. And he seems to always take the blame, but none of the credit. And I'm just so happy that somebody who's such a tremendous leader, such a humble person, such a team first guy, such an unbelievable player was able to get adequately rewarded with leading our team to the championship, receiving MVP of the game and receiving the individual honors of, of goalie of the year and MVP of the PLL this summer. He, he deserves every single accolade he gets. And, uh, you know, with that said, I, I know the one that he values by far the most is that he's a world champion along with his teammates. No, absolutely. And to get into some more of the festivities after, you guys seemed like you had a great time. I know the trophy took a little bit of a beating, but you said you just got, have to go and win another one next year, right? Um, but talk about some of these moments um, after the game, whether it be some humorous ones, you know, you guys celebrating, or even some more sincere, like intimate ones um, that you had with some of your players. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was bedlam, as you could see. <laughs> and, and, and to be able to celebrate with the guys in our team that had put the team success ahead of their own success on just the chance that they could win and to be able to celebrate and bask in that success and prove everybody wrong. There were very few people that picked us, but we had no self-doubt ever. And we knew we were on a mission and we knew we were a dangerous team and we knew we were becoming more and more dangerous as it went on. And to be able to sit and celebrate with all of those guys in the locker room to have, you know, James Towers there in them and for those guys to accept James, uh, you know, as one of their own and, and, and celebrate with him like he was also a player on the team, along with our coaches and, and Curtis and Panetta and, 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 and my wife and, you know, so many of the players, girlfriends and, and, and families, you know, it really was euphoric. And, and certainly I don't think anybody could accuse our team of leaving any bullets 
uh, in the gun after, <laughs> uh, after that celebration. No, absolutely. It looked like it was a great time. Um, moving on now, I know this is kind of ties in with, you know, you have a lot of box players on your team, but you're also a scout for the Albany Firewolves. Um, and a large, large amount of your players play box. Some of them were even box first before joining your team. Uh, discuss your appreciation for the box game and how you've gotten more involved over the years. Well, I, you know, last year when the NL didn't have a season, I actually had signed on with the New York Riptide and had a civil role so as an American scout. And, and the role that I served for Jimmy Veltman and his staff was simply, you know, a guy that was familiar with a lot of the American players and just served as, as a resource for them if they weren't familiar with specific guys' strengths and, and opportunities for uh, you know improvement in ways that they could potentially become great valued box players. And unfortunately that season didn't go off due to COVID. And you know, um, my good friend Oliver Marty, who had played with the Brown, who played on the Canadian World Teams and, and was a great box player and a great field player, he ended up purchasing the New England Black Wolves and moved them to Albany. And after he bought that team, contacted me about coming and uh, filling a dual role, for, dual role for them, which was to do uh, the color commentating along with play-by-play by Brendan Glasheen and to take on uh, the role of American Scout for the Albany Firewolves. And so I've had some discussions with Glenn Clark, who's the head coach up there, um, about their roster. But, you know, honestly, my focus has been on the PLL through last Sunday. And, and now I sort of transitioned a little bit into my role at the Albany Firewolves. And it's a, you know, it's a small role. I, it really is. You know, these guys are coaches in the league because they know it better than anybody else. And, you know, a very good handle on what they want from a culture standpoint, what kind of players make their respective schemes work the best, not too different than, you know, our challenges in the PLL. With that said, you know, whatever my respective role ends up being for Clarkey and whatever I can do to support the job that he has at hand, I am glad to fill that role, big or small. And, and, and regardless of my role as the American scout for them, I'm just really excited to be able to, uh, you know, provide commentary in a game that I've come to really appreciate just being around the unselfishness and team first mentality of those guys that, that play pro box in the NLL on our team. And, um, you know, I look forward to learning more and, and, and being around it as much as possible. It's an unbelievable game, similar in a lot of ways, but also different in a lot of ways as well. Um, and certainly we've benefited in the PLL having guys from the NLL on our team. Absolutely. And we're certainly looking forward to having you in the booth and hearing you on a daily basis during those games <laughs> as well. You know, we're, what we miss, we'll miss from the PLL sideline. We'll get at Firewolves home games. So that'll be exciting. We will. We will. Um, let's move on to our five and five. I'll start off with lacrosse questions. And the first one I always ask is what are some pregame routines that you have? You know, for me, um, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll do the deck of cards in the morning before the games. So I'll get up and I'll do, you know, a series of push-ups and sit-ups, which is just a quick workout. Um, you know, I will make sure that my, uh, the clothes that I wear are consistent 
depending upon the success that we've had, if we're winning games, I will end up wearing, you know, the same clothes. Uh, if we're losing games, that gives me the permission, so to speak, to, to switch up uh, until I can find the winning combination. I usually have a, uh, a sugar-free Red Bull and dilute that with the same amount of uh, soda water or club soda. Um, you know, those, those would be the primary superstitions that I have uh, each week. So seltzer with Red Bull is the breakfast of champions, essentially. Yeah, it probably could be considered that. Yes, at least this year, for sure. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what's been your favorite venue to coach the cross at? Obviously, you get to go to a bunch now with the PLL. So what's been one of your favorites? Well, I, you know, I got to say, I love almost all of the venues that we played in. I really like these, uh, you know, these major league soccer venues. I, I, Audi, Audi Field, I mean, what was cooler than that? I, I loved that venue. We played the all-star game in, uh, you know, 2019. I think it was the California, whatever venue that was in LA was, was awesome too. Um, you know, but I think tough to not love Audi field, tough to not love the stadium up in Albany, you know, given the crowd there tough to not love Homewood field, but honestly, you know, they're all unique in a lot of ways and, 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 you know, 90, 90% of the venues that we played in, I, I could verbally defend why those are my favorite. But if you're going to ask me my, my favorite one, it'd have to be Audi Field because we just won the championship there. That's a good choice for sure. Uh, number three, who's a mentor you've leaned on during your career, whether it be as a player or as a coach? You know, there's a few. I, I think that, um, you know, Joe Bresci, who's the head coach at University of North Carolina, was a very, very good friend of mine. I have a ton of respect for him. He coached me um, as an assistant coach my senior year at Brown and was a roommate of mine, uh, helped support me when I was coaching in college across, served as a, as a resource for me. Uh, Peter Lasagna, who coached me my senior year at Brown uh, and then hired me as an assistant coach for two years, uh, has been a, a lifelong friend and somebody that I really enjoyed playing for. Uh, Mike Waldvogel, who I coached with at Yale, was uh, you know, somebody that I served three years as an assistant coach under who I learned so much about the game from, you know, and, and hard to not put, you know, Howard Benedict, who was my high school coach, uh, just a, a, an unbelievably smart person in terms of challenging uh, the group to come together for something greater than themselves. And, you know, there's been a a lot of different guys, but just off the top of, of my head, those, those guys have been really, really important in, in my development. Awesome. And then number four, who's the funniest player on the chaos currently? And there can be more than one. <laughs> well, listen, that's a super hard question. Um, I could verbally defend a lot of people. Certainly Austin Cout has to be in that conversation. <laughs> uh, Jack Rowlett has to be in that conversation. Uh, Ian McKay has to be in that conversation. Uh, you know, I go through uh, the group, you know, Josh Byrne, Dane Smith, you know, Matt Panetta, Ryan Curtis. They're, they're, they're you know, I, I could go through. There's some characters. They're, listen, there, there are so many unique characters that are funny in their own separate ways. If I had to, if I had to whittle it down to three, I mean, some guys know they're funny. Some guys don't know they're funny, but know they're, 
but no, they're mint. They just don't know why they're mint. Um, but I, I'm going to go with the top three, I would have to say, would be Cowder, uh, Rowlett, and Ian McKay. Those would be my top three, although I could answer that with three different guys tomorrow. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, number five, final one for the lacrosse. If they made a PLL video game, who do you say deserves to be on the cover? I think I might know the answer to this one. Please but... Yep. Yep. MVP for a reason. Absolutely. Yep. So those are all lacrosse questions now off the field. Uh, who's a player in another sport that you enjoy watching? For me, I always enjoyed watching Allen Iverson. You know, he, he was uh, pound for pound, the greatest competitor that I, you know, saw, uh, you know, I could say obvious guys like Jordan and Lawrence Taylor and, you know, Barry Sanders and, and Gretzky and guys like that. But for me, the guy that I was most excited to watch was Allen Iverson. Well, Adam's a big Sixers fan. So I think he's going to love that answer. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Number two, what has been some hobbies or activities that you enjoy doing when you're not coaching? Uh, I love to play golden tea. (laughs) You know what golden tea is? I do. Yes. The arcade game, right? Yep. That's right. And so I bought a golden tea machine for my house about uh, eight years ago and, and play all the time. In fact, I, I'm right around 120 in terms of my world ranking. And I oh need to get to 64 to make the world championships out in Vegas that are held in the second weekend of June every year. And I've been as close as 78, um, you know, but, but I haven't played as much in the last three weeks because we've been in the playoffs and, you know, but now that the PLL season is over and, and uh, I got a little bit more downtime, a little more time to stay in the house as uh, as we shut down our pool and I'll be inside a little bit more. I got to try to get back at it. And and, and that is a, a lifelong goal is to make the Golden Tee World Championships. And I do think I've got a, a chance to do it, but I, I got to put the work in. That's incredible. I, I don't think anyone too would, you know, if you were able to get that, would be able to say they were a lacrosse world champion and golden tee world champion <laughs> in the same Listen, breath. I, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled at that suggestion. No question about it. <laughs> I think you can do it coach. <laughs> Thank you. I like your confidence. Number three, where's your favorite spot to vacation? Well, I think it's gotta be Turks and Caicos. You know, I'm very fortunate that I married extremely well and we are both beach over mountains people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Turks and Caicos is, is a spot that we try to get to as much as we can, obviously, as we now have a, uh, a daughter at Penn State who's a freshman at Penn State and, and James Towers who's a freshman at Buchanan High School. It's a little more challenging, but there's no question that we go warm over cold and, and Turks and Caicos, I would say, has been our top vacation spot as a family. I love it. I'm definitely a beach guy too. I actually moved near the beach. So, you know, I get to enjoy it a little bit as, as well. Smart. Number four, what's your favorite meal? Do you prefer to dine out, cook out or take out? Wow. Well, I got to say it's probably my wife's cooking. (laughs) And so that is, is what I like the most. Um, We we're real food people. Uh, my wife and I, my family in general are really big food people. And so we love going out as well a ton. And it's a great break for my wife to not have to, to, to cook. And she loves to cook for us, but certainly she likes a break as well. Uh, you know, for me, it's, it's between her ribs, uh, her steaks, um, Mexican food in general. I love her chicken parm. 
Um, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty much everything, but in general, for me, I'm, I'm probably steak before I'm anything else, but I, but I enjoy, enjoy it all. And how do you like your steak? Medium rare. Uh, that, my man, <laughs> that's exactly how I like, it. like Panetta, I feel like well. it's gotta be, you're either rare or medium rare. Otherwise you're not doing steak. Right. I mean, I'm I can maybe get by right. with some medium. I think but. the exact same way you do. <laughs> and then my final one is what's a book podcast or even a TV show that you've been uh, reading listening to or watching that you've recommended? Wow. That's a good question. Um, I listen to podcasts uh, quite a bit. Um, I was on this guy's podcast a few weeks ago called the Jedberg podcast, which was awesome. Um, his name was Fran Rachopi. He, he lives in town here and he was a, a uh, you know, a green beret in the army. And, and I just loved the angle of his podcast. Um, you know, I, I like a lot of shows. I watch a lot of sports, but I think on Netflix, I just watched uh, this series called Untold Stories, I think it is. And I think hmm. it was, I watched Malice in the Palace, which was the story of- I still need to watch that one. Of Ron Artest and those guys when they went yeah. into the stands and it, and it, and it really exon- exonerates Ron Artest and Jermaine O'Neal and Stephen Jackson and it tells their side of the story and how the world convicted them without knowing really what they had gone through. That was an awesome one, uh, you know, but, but that's probably, those are a few of the ones that I've seen recently that I really am uh, big fans of. Yeah, I need to check that one out. I was really young when that happened, but I remember it because I was living in Michigan at the time. And so I was a Pistons fan. And of course, I got probably the opposite angle, you know, or this sounds like, you know, it kind of exonerates some of the Pacers. Um, You know, for me, it was just like, oh, there's this big brawl for at the Pistons game or whatever. So I definitely got to check that one out. It's really interesting, man. I mean, even if you aren't, even if you don't remember it, it's just, Mm -hmm. it just goes to show you how, uh, you know, irresponsible at times the media can be in the way that they depict certain situations mm-hmm. and certainly those guys got screwed and uh you know they they weren't perfect either but i think it's an important story that was told um i watched another one about the danbury trashers which was really yep interesting. Uh, that's another one that's on my list too yeah. awesome. listen watch those because it is it's just it's just super entertaining and they do an incredible job of telling those stories I'm going to probably watch it tonight, actually. Um, But that wraps up our five and five. One final question we'll end on is, what is some advice you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally? You know, I think be mindful of your intangibles. Uh, You know, those are the things that you decide about yourself that you want others to see in you and say about you. And the only way people will see those things in you and say those things about you is when you show them and allow people to stack data points of you showcasing particular skills, you know, you are constantly allowing people, or I should say people are always forming their opinions on you and everything that you do and everything that you say and how you respond to situations, give people data points and those data points allow them to form opinions of you. And if you want people to think you're coachable and team first, and mentally tough, and physically durable, and hyper-competitive, and, uh, you know, all of those great attributes, then you've got to decide that you are going to be that way, and do it on a consistent basis. If you do it half the time, 
you know, it's not good enough. You've got to do it all the time. You know, when I was younger, I lived a certain way and, you know, uh, made some good decisions, made a lot of bad decisions. And it, it took me a long time to understand that the decisions that you make give people legitimacy in the way that they view you and what they say about you. And if you want people to say positive things about you, then you have to be uh, consistent in the way that you respond to things. And certainly athleticism and your skill set and, and game IQ are critical, but those three things are not enough if you're not a team first person or if you're only team first when you're in the lineup and you're not team first if you're out of the lineup. To me, that's a fraud, uh, you know, and, 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 and so, you know, you, you work on your athleticism, your skill set, your IQ, but be perpetually mindful that people are making their decisions on you based on how you respond to things and what you do. And don't take a moment off because if you do that, you're giving somebody else the opportunity to write your ending and you're the one that's doing the hard work and making the sacrifices and, uh, and nobody should get a say in that but you. No, I think that's great advice. You know, write your own ending. Um, that's, that's great, Coach. I appreciate that. And I think our young listeners will as well. Again, thank you for hopping on. Congrats on the PLL Championship and best of luck going forward. Thanks, and Tom, man. I appreciate all you guys do for the sport. I listen to your podcast all the time when I work out and, uh, and just appreciate what you've done for the sport in general, for the PLL specifically, and keep doing what you're doing. You're making it, uh, you're making it easy to love the sport. Thank you, Coach. I appreciate that for sure. All right, so you heard our interview with Coach Andy Towers. We appreciate him joining the podcast. It's long overdue. Glad to have him on. Um, you know, he, as he usually says, he is above average, and I think he was doing a little bit more than above average after that championship, um, but credit to him and his staff. Um, now that we have talked about the championship, let's talk a little bit of off-season storylines um, because nothing better than, you know, following up what was a great season with a great off season. So I think the biggest storylines obviously is the retirement of some big name players. Obviously we knew Kyle Harrison at the beginning of the season, John Galloway and Joel White came before their final game. Um, And then Paul Rabel came after the season, which, you know, I don't think we were really able to truly appreciate what he was able to do this season. um, Now knowing that it was his last season, but um, yeah, those are the the four retirements. Shout out to Michelle Tumalo as well as another professional lacrosse player who recently retired. For sure. PLO specific, Adam, um, talk a little bit about the impact of these guys, you know, and what they've done and kind of the void that's going to be needed to be filled, uh, you know, going forward. Yeah. I mean, these are some of the best players to ever put on a helmet. I mean, when, when you look at the Pantheon of lacrosse, Paul Rabel and Kyle Harrison in particular, you think of them right away, right. As some of the, the Mount Rushmore guys of the sport. And I mean, when, when it comes to the, all of those guys have played for, for team USA, Paul, Joel and Galloway were on that, uh, the, the last team that won a gold medal for, for team USA. So um, whether it's from their high school careers to their college careers, to the pro their pro careers, these are some of the best players uh, to, to ever play the sport. And uh, we'll certainly uh, miss them on the field. Obviously it'll be interesting to see how their squads uh, kind of overcome uh, the loss of their players, from, especially from 
uh, a leadership standpoint. These are some of the the, the vocal leaders uh, of their teams and the league. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But I don't think any of these guys are are quite done with the sport, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Paul um, has big things to come uh, with the PLL. Uh, John Galloway, current coach uh, at Jacksonville, I expect them to make a big run this year uh, in the SoCon. And um, and Kyle and Joel are, are going to be a part of the sport and for, for a long time, I think. So uh, fantastic careers. Uh, enjoy retirement. But I don't think lacrosse, they've officially retired uh, from lacrosse, maybe just playing. Yeah, you never really retire, I think, from lacrosse <laughs> as a whole. Um, but yeah, great careers for them. I, you know, wouldn't be surprised too, if we see a few more players retire this off season, uh, you know, it'd be unfortunate, but, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about those when those happen as well. Um, I think there might be a few more, you know, unfortunately that will be joining that list, but yeah, kind of an end of an era, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little worried once we start to get into when RP three retires, because for me, that was like probably the last guy I really looked up with. And, you know, once I started getting to college, everyone else started to kind of become your peers or whatever, maybe not peers, you know, on a professional level, obviously, but, um, age-wise. So we're old man. And, um, it's, it's definitely, you know, tough to see them leave the game, but it's nice to also see them leave the game on their own terms. Yeah. We're old, man. We're getting old. (laughs) I know. Thanks for reminding me guys. But, uh, I know in particular the Chrome, obviously losing John Galloway and Joel White is huge. They were fortunate enough to get Sean Scannoni, um, you know, their heir apparent this past season. So kind of let's talk about the Chrome. There are, I think, an off-season storyline that is interesting um, because they're really the only team that I think is going to maybe go through a massive overhaul um, this off-season. So what are your thoughts on the Chrome and the, the Chrome back that's going to be sure. happening this off-season? Yeah, man. It'll, it, you, you mentioned a big overhaul. They're going to have a, a pretty different roster on the field just from injuries and and a variety of other things you know gutty is gone joel white you mentioned john galloway so we'll have a new guy in cage with sean scannoni uh their first round draft pick last year jt giles harris hopefully uh we'll be able to suit up for them uh next year we mentioned the aforementioned randy stotts who was injured last year during training camp hopefully we'll be able to hit the uh hit the field with them and jordan wolf as well you know will be coming off an injury so there's still some question marks uh, in terms of those guys coming back and, and what they'll be able to do but uh those are two of the best offensive threats in the world and jt giles harris is obviously a phenomenal player at duke so um those guys coming back from injury sean scanoni hobbit and cage without really changing anything from a roster perspective in terms of trades and drafts those are a couple of additions that are massive for this Chrome squad going into uh, 2022. Yeah, no, and you got Del Malloy there as well that, yep. you know, probably looking to get a full season in. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do on that righty side with both Stotts and um, Del Malloy. You know, do you run a two-man game with them? Um, do you move one in the offseason to get another pieces? You know, I, I don't know. That's going to be a, definitely an interesting uh, move that we're looking forward to to watching, um, you know, and the cannons are another one that, you know, maybe necessarily don't go completely overhaul, but they're losing a guy like Paul Rabel. Um, they have struggles at the faceoff that they need to address. And unfortunately they don't have their first round pick because they traded it with the Paul Rabel trade. So what do you think the cannons do this off season? Yeah. So like you said, I really do think, uh, coach Quirk's going to make it a priority, uh, to find, uh, someone, at the stripe that can consistently uh, take a, a bulk of that workload in the 2022 season. Yeah, no. And, you know, I, I don't know who that ends up being, um, you know, cause there's not really a generational talent like TD necessarily in the draft. There's definitely some great 
guys that, you know, they could definitely um, take a fly on, um, you know, and there's some other guys they could maybe trade for as well. But uh, yeah, they went through like four different guys this season and it just didn't work. Um, and, you know, maybe you give one or two of them a chance this off season um, to kind of solidify their position. We looked at, you know, how long it took Max Adler to kind of get into the groove. So, you know, sometimes it's the rule set. Sometimes just players need time and consistency. Uh, but that's definitely a point of emphasis for them as well as yeah. for the archers. I yeah, think the I, archers definitely need to address the face off position as well. Yeah, no, I agree. If I, if I, I'm a bent man, Mike Sisselberger out of uh, Lehigh is going to be uh, a hot commodity for those two squads potentially going into next season. No, absolutely. And when you, you know, with expansion, probably not happening this off season, a lot of teams are set. So um, a lot of teams are going to have to go after those, those final pieces in the draft. Um, you know, other than making trades, there's not going to be really be that opportunity, many opportunities to pick up players. Um, so yeah, definitely will be interesting. Um, obviously there's players still in the player pool too, that might get a shot, but, um, that's definitely something we're going to be watching closely. I think this draft coming up is going to be very, very important going off of that. I think the final question for me heading this season, and it's a good problem to have is the Atlas. They had a great season. Um, you know, I don't think they need to make really any changes at all. Uh, you know, maybe they add a little bit more midfield depth. But for the most part, I think, you know, they're, they're pretty set where they're at. The question is, you now have a goalie controversy because you have J.D. Colarusso played really, really well stepping in cage after uh, Jack and Cannon went down with injury. Jack and Cannon has obviously been a top tier goalie the past three seasons as well. Um, I think, you know, you kind of pull what Coach Sowers did in the first season with uh, Dylan Ward and, and Blaze and keep them both on your roster, you know, in case one's not doing well, you know, obviously saw how that benefited the whip snakes when Kyle Burnmore had a bit of an off season and uh, they brought Phipps in, but what do you think the Atlas do and who do you think they go with uh, as a starter? Yeah. I, I think if you're uh, coach Ruby or it's a, it's a good problem to have. You have two strong goalies on your squad. And I think uh, you go into next season uh, with a potential competition in cage. Um, I think both goalies are pro caliber and I think, uh, that the decision doesn't have to be made now. We can see how they play uh, in training camp, see how the offseason shakes up. Um, but I, I think they go into next season with, um, I'd probably lean Can Cannon just based off of um, prior success. But JD played well for them down the stretch. But I, I think it's Can Cannon's cage to lose. I think uh, similar to what Coach Staggs did with Phipps, as you mentioned. He went with a hot hand at the time and uh, you knew uh, what JD was um, going into that, the, that playoff game where you didn't know uh, how Jack would fare coming off of injury. So uh, I think it's Kincannon's cage, but uh, goalie competition is always something I'm looking forward to talking about as training camp progresses. Yeah, no. And, you know, they could maybe roll out a two goalie system kind of like the archers did. Um, sure. I think you might see some more teams maybe implement that going forward. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to, you know, pull a goalie when he's hot but um you could also maybe see them alternate you know games like the the archers did based on matchup i know joe keegan had thrown out an interesting stat based on how well can cannon plays in close compared to kyle russo um and i don't think that's the reason why they lost to the, the chaos at all but um it is interesting you know having two goalies that have different styles um you know you can utilize that as actually an advantage um, not necessarily, you know, a problem trying to figure out who who should start. But yeah, that's one of my storylines. That's very interesting because they both played really, really well this season. And, uh, you know, I think, like you said, it's a good problem for Coach Rubio to have. But that wraps up our final episode from the PLL 2021 season. Um, obviously, we'll have a lot of co coverage this offseason as well. We, you know, getting prepared for the NLL 
as well too. But uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in as always. If you enjoy this episode, definitely leave us a five-star review that helps us move up in the rankings, helps us continue to bring content and helps get our name out there um, by leaving us reviews and, and letting us know how we did. So we really appreciate that. We appreciate all you guys' support this season. Um, and as always, we appreciate you for tuning in to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. <laughs>